the McKean Report. This week, the provincial government released their Blue Ribbon Report as a precursor to the budget. I'll give you the pessimist's take. As well, there are new futures on the horizon for EEDC, Edmonton Global, Rossdale, and Calcium Chloride. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 52, and we have now reached the period, I said right after the election, we're just not going to talk about the election and the provincial politics for a period of time. That period of time has elapsed, and we have to talk about it this week. But before we talk about that, on to the rapid fire. Tapcar, the Alberta-based company most easily described as the taxi of ride-hailing apps, has submitted an application to operate in British Columbia. They've applied to operate in four of the five ride-sharing zones, which would make it the only ride-sharing app to operate outside of the lower mainland in BC. Though this is exciting for the company, some potential customers are less than enthused, commentating, tap car instead of taxis? Isn't that kind of like saying, we heard you hated ice cream because of how cold it makes your sensitive teeth, so here's some gelato? A local Edmonton realtor was made to pound sand this week. After he went on a Twitter tirade, attacking teachers and other public servants and just in general insulting a lot of people, often using language we can't repeat here, he claimed he was hacked and deleted his Twitter account. While many are very skeptical of the hacking claim, it actually seems likely considering the other massive purported hacks this week. Almost anyone unsuccessful has claimed that they were hacked. After losing two massive Brexit votes, Boris Johnson claimed his vocal cords were hacked, and he was actually a Remain supporter the whole time. Bolsonaro claimed his lighter was hacked when he lit the Amazon on fire, and the tree stump in front of my house claimed it was hacked with an axe. Some users flew like a bird, or so says a widely reported news story this week, alleging that some bird scooters had their wheels locking up and sending users over the handlebars. While Alberta Health Services is not reporting any significant uptick in injuries due to the scooters, and usage is very, very high, with one being unable to walk or cycle near White Ave without seeing several of the electric active transportation devices zipping around, concern is increasing about the safety of the devices. Said one motorist through his truck window while idling at the Timmy's drive-thru, those things are a menace and they should be banned. We also caught up with an EPS constable on the scene of a multi-car rear-end collision which occurred after a pedestrian was mowed down in a marked crosswalk and he said, quote, the real concern here is the scofflaws riding these scooters on the sidewalk. It makes it very uncomfortable and unsafe for people walking in Edmonton. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, This episode is brought to you in part by Your Forest, a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. Here's host Matt Kristoff to tell you more. Hey guys, my name is Matthew Kristoff, and I'm an advocate for sustainability and environmental sciences. If you've ever wanted to know how our natural world is being managed, check out my podcast, Your Forest, where I talk with researchers and professionals in the field of environmental sciences about the work they do and the things they love. It's all about our natural world and how we manage it. Climate change to conservation, wilderness survival, wildfire, all kinds of stuff. If we're going to give up on something like trumpeter swans, then functionally we would give up on the value of wetlands. Coined the term sustainability. You know, forests to me are my spiritual place. It's, it's where I go to relax, to reset myself, to reconnect. This bird had flown um, over 100,000 kilometers in its life. Climate change doesn't mean that we're going to lose all of our forests. Again, it just might mean that there's a different forest. 
And uh, how we got here is we approached the peak by helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> um, the importance of fire in, in a wilderness situation just can't be understated. It's all about sustainability. Check out Your Forest on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks a lot, guys. See you out there. Uh, be sure to search for Your Forest, all one word, in the podcatcher of your choice, or you can visit them at yourforestpodcast.com. So, Mac, we're back, and we're going to have to talk about the McKinnon Report this week because it's the big news and it has a lot of effect on cities. But let's start in the city of Edmonton because we found out how many of us there are this week. That's right. I spent all day at City Hall, so you're going to hear all about it today. And one of the things they announced we, was the results of the 2019 Municipal Census. And so the highlight number here, how much would you guess before? You probably saw the article. Did you have a number in mind? If I had a number in mind, it would say maybe like nearly a million people. Yeah, good guess. The official number is 972,223, which is 2.6% annual growth over the last municipal census. The unofficial number, so this is an extrapolation based on the number of households that didn't complete the survey, puts us at 992,812. So very close to the million person uh, milestone. Calgary also just wrapped up their latest municipal census. They released the results earlier this week and they're at 1.28 million as of April, uh, which is a slightly smaller increase annually for them than we had here in Edmonton. So we're growing, we're continuing to grow. Uh, the chief economist, John Rose, projects 2.1% for this year, which is slower than previous years, but is still ahead of provincial and federal growth rates. And the mayor and the chief economist both took pains to talk about how this is a critical tool for us to advocate for our fair share and how Edmonton is really driving the economy in Alberta. And this is proof of that. Yeah, there's really not much to say on the census other than, hey, we're growing and we're on track to hit the 2 million people mark by about 2044, they said. Something like that. And the economist says we'll hit 1 million sometime late next year. Given that we're a growing city, some things that a growing city needs are infrastructure and upkeep and dollars. And we got a provincial report this week, the McKinnon report, a blue ribbon report, which doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, it's a word that everyone's using. Does, doesn't have any There's meaning. There's no actual blue ribbons? Yeah, and in fact, blue ribbons in the United States are a first-place ribbon, and in Canada are a second-place ribbon. I did not know that. I know that because I was looking up blue ribbons, because <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. So, the blue ribbon report came out, and this is essentially the report that Kenny commissioned to say, I've got to write a budget, I want to justify cuts, so yeah. write me a report pretty please. Yeah. Um. You're going to sense a little bit of slant on the reporting of this report, but that's what you get on Speaking Municipally. So overall, what what's the report all about? What are the big highlights here? Well, as you say, we want to cut health funding. We want to cut education funding. We want to justify all of the cuts that we want to make to the public service. And in, in um, the interest of Speaking Municipally, we want to cut funding for municipalities. That was one of the key things. It basically talked about how uh, existing levels of municipal capital support, so the money that we get from the province to build infrastructure like the things that we need to support a growing population. Uh, and by the way, the mayor earlier said that we're still catching up on infrastructure debt that we have from the past. So, you know, we're growing and we're still having to catch up. When he says the past, he means 90s incline. Um. Essentially, yeah. Uh, the report says mis municipalities can't keep relying on these increasing provincial grants. So they're basically saying, we're not going to give you more money to maintain your cities. Interestingly, they also aren't saying, here's how you can raise that money. Yeah. So there's a couple 
key points to break down here. The first is that in the report, there was a recommendation that, you know, capital funding for cities is too high and we need to reduce that. Yeah. So there's two sides to that coin. The first one is that one, Edmonton has a lot of big capital projects on the horizon. The main one being Valley Line West. For Valley Line West, the previous NDP government had committed a billion dollars from carbon tax revenues to the Valley Line. We've already started. We've started procurement of land. We've expropriated properties. Western Cycle has moved out of their location on 124th Street to a lot of back and forth. But yeah, this this process is ongoing. Things are moving. Edmonton City Council has already approved $200 million for you know, development work, for planning, for consultation, for expropriation, all these, you know, pre-building costs. That's money. Not all of it may have been spent at this point, but at least some of it is. We Work is ongoing. And it's commit, you know, we, we treat that as committed funding, right? It seemed unlikely that that would get walked back. In fact, Kenny, during the campaign, said in no uncertain terms, this money will not come from the carbon tax because I'm repealing it, but the provincial government is committed to giving this funding. Right. So did you read in this report any confirmation that we're going to get that funding? I read absolutely zero confirmation, but the report in my reading was 100% confirmation that it will not happen. That is Troy's take on this report is this report guarantees with 100% certainty, I will stake my claim on that. <laughs> we're not getting LRT to West Edmonton Mall, at least not with the provincial funding and the current scope that we're hoping to build it. The um, report says it wants to decrease um, provincial funding of capital projects in cities. It says cities have tax room. That's a quote. The other side of that coin is the report also suggests that maybe the city charters aren't such a good idea. Uh, For those unfamiliar, the city charters is a regulation. We were previously funded via the MSI, the Municipal Sustainability Initiative, which basically gave us some money that was uncertain and no one really liked it. The previous NDP government, we made agreements with Edmonton and Calgary. Essentially, going forward, cities would get a portion of the provincial revenue. It would be a revenue sharing agreement. If the province is doing well, cities get a bit more. If the province is doing not so well, cities get less. And note that both Edmonton and Calgary took pretty significant infrastructure cuts in the negotiation of this agreement. Yeah, the mayor said, we understand the province is in difficult shape. That's why we took a 42% cut to our infrastructure grant last year when we signed the city charter deal. Yeah, so this is municipalities already saying we're taking huge cuts and seeing the suggestion that, well, we might need to take even bigger cuts. And it's worse for other municipalities because Edmonton and Calgary at least have the city charter deal in place, but other municipalities have no idea what is supposed to replace MSI funding when that runs out. And the mayor talked about that as well, Mayor Iveson, saying that it's an impediment to our collaboration and planning for long-term infrastructure in the region when we don't have any certainty around that funding. That's what this whole MSI and city charter discussion was trying to achieve was stable funding for cities to be able to deal with the infrastructure problems that they have. And we felt like we were there maybe with the city charter, and now it seems like we're not. This report is just a report. It's advice. It's not a budget. We're going to see the budget probably next month, maybe two months down the line, depending on release and drafting. And then probably another one next spring. Sure. Um, But key, the reason we haven't seen a budget to this point, why the budget was delayed, is because Kenny has said we wanted this McKinnon report to be available. Right. That is a pretty good indication that he plans to use the McKinnon report as justification for the budget. 
So if we're to go with that assumption, we can expect not great things municipally from the budget, and that's upcoming. Now, if I were to extrapolate this and say, what is the political upside? What, is, what are we looking at down the line and what will this look like for our city? There's two pretty key things. One, cities in Alberta cannot run operational deficits. There's ways you can use money, but functionally cities must have balanced budgets. You mm -hmm. can't run a deficit. That's a provincial regulation. So that means that if a city wants to maintain current service levels like Edmonton, and is getting a huge pay cut from the province, taxes are going up. That is the only option available to cities. It's either decreased service or increased taxes. And even if you take on more debt, which a city could do, you're increasing taxes to pay the debt servicing costs. And even then, we talked about this during our last budget, Edmonton is pretty close to our debt limit. Right. There's a legislated limit of debt, and Edmonton, it's bumping up against that. Council said they didn't want to hamstring future councils. When your city taxes go up, do people typically blame the premier? Not in my experience. No, they typically blame good old Don Iveson yep. for taxes going up. This is where I think there might be some political maneuvering. Is you see this McKinnon report slated, there are provincial goals about deficit reduction and about a whole slew of campaign promises that we don't want to get into. But the way that the province seems to be achieving these ends is by downloading the negatives onto municipalities. That's interesting. I think it's even more insidious when you consider what happened in the last Calgary municipal election. School board, there was a trial balloon where far right, Wild Rose, UCP-ish, ran a slate of school board candidates for the Calgary Board of Education saying, look, this is our political ideology and we want to get it into office municipally. Right. And now it's all limited success at that point. But what would that look like if a mayor, for example, wanted to continue to not waste $200 million of Valley Line funding so taxes go up 30% to fund an LRT and just to maintain existing pothole filling? All the meanwhile, lowering speed limits as Troy has forced city council <laughs> to do. Good job, Troy. I think we are on track to have the province force the city's hand into angering the population and an angry population votes for change. Couple this with Kenny's insistence that municipal elections will become referendum opportunities. So he can create provincial wedge issues that gets his base out to municipal polls, which people don't show up for. 30% voted in the last election, but over half voted in the provincial election. So if you can, as the premier, can leverage that wedge issue to get your voters to the polls municipally, run a slate of candidates that you support, and have created a situation where you've created anger against the progressive politicians currently running the city, maybe that's how Kenny gets into Orange Edmonton. That's Troy's political theater speculation of what this report means. That's kind of scary. That It is very, very You don't scary. think there's any scope for um, you know, the city to push back on, on this idea that you know, infrastructure is really important to us and we're going to continue to do it no matter what. And we're not the bad guys. It's the province that is the bad guy. It's Mr. Kenny that is the bad guy. Do you think that that's possible? I think that's inevitable and I hope that that happens. But there's also limits to that. Yeah. I mean, the alternative, I guess, is we just say, well, we don't build it yet. Yeah. And we wait for more favorable government to provide us with that funding. So maybe it goes on hold as opposed to raising taxes, as you said. Yeah, it, these are all options on the table. And of course, city council has to toe a line because 
the province giveth and the province taketh away. Mm-hmm. If city council becomes too oppositional, it could just be punitive at that point. Yeah, really um, in jeopardy, everything else. In the absolute worst case, the premier has almost unilateral authority to fire Edmonton City Council. This is a thing that the province lets cities have governments by its good graces. Of course, this is a huge overstepping, but we've seen it happen in the past where school boards have been fired. And there was talk, you know, a couple of years ago about David Egan firing the Catholic school board mm-hmm. because they were dysfunctional. What what does that mean That's in a pretty the context extreme of, suggestion. It's I am not suggesting that this will happen. Yeah. But I am suggesting that city council can't win. There there's no situation where a city council says, I am on an equal footing in this fight. The province holds all the authority and all the power, and the province can do whatever they want. Cities just kinda have to take it. And I think our city is going to be taking a lot in the upcoming years. Um, so if you are sufficiently scared, um, <laughs> this is why Troy hasn't been talking about the election in the two months since, because it causes existential dread in his heart of hearts. Or if you're very creative, come up with a strategy to just counter everything Troy said and come on the show and tell us about it. Yes, I would I would be happy to hear the take that is, oh, actually, this is all a very good thing, and here's why. Right. <laughs> Let's establish a little like regional wall around the Edmonton area, our nice orange haven, and talk about Edmonton Global and the metro region because there was updates about that. Yeah, I touched on this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, that um, there was a report on innovation and Councillor Andrew Knack asked for a report back on the Innovation Compass, this report that talks about how should we, you know, it has the recommendations on how we should organize ourselves as an innovation community. And you might recall that Michael Walters made a subsequent at that uh, meeting uh, to talk about, well, if we're going to talk about role clarity and innovation, we should just talk about it regionally, full stop. And everybody was like, nope, we're going to kick that down the road. It came back up today. His motion you know, basically asked for a, an analysis of the strategic and financial impl- implications of shifting all of EEDC's non-tourism and convention tax-supported funding to Edmonton Global. So what would happen if we took all the money that we currently give to EEDC outside of tourism and conventions and gave it to Edmonton Global? And that was the motion that they discussed today. So for clarity, what, what is the money that we give to EEDC that's not tourism and convention? So I don't know the exact breakdown off the top of my head about what the budget is for, but under EEDC are things like Innovate Edmonton, which houses Startup Edmonton and contributes part of the funding to Tech Edmonton. And the other major component and the one that is the contentious bone in this whole fight is around what is called foreign direct investment. So FDI is what you'll often hear people say. And this is attracting companies and investors from elsewhere in the world to come and spend their money in the region. And until we started Edmonton Global, EEDC was basically the only game in town and they did all of this. And so they got a significant amount of funding to do that. Actually, probably more from the province than from the city. But when Edmonton Global started, that money moved over to Edmonton Global from the province. And now there's the suggestion that, you know, maybe we go back to more traditional economic development model, which is really just tourism and conventions shrink that budget for EEDC and spend the difference over at Edmonton Global. And so we're not talking about not doing these things. Not We're not saying we shouldn't be an AI hub. We shouldn't attract new technological investment. We're just saying the bureaucrats which manage this should be these bureaucrats instead of these bureaucrats. Yeah, basically. I think council is starting to recognize that, you know, they put things in motion in the past without 
maybe properly thinking through the implications of that. And, and now you've got people fighting over which piece of the playground is theirs and which toy they get to play with, right? And so that's really what this discussion boils down to is let's be clear about um, what are the roles that EDC is going to play versus Edmonton Global. And I think one of the most important things that came out of the discussion today, uh, Councillor McKean brought it up and then a, a couple of others you know, jumped on the bandwagon, uh, is that we should have a third party do this review because it's really hard for EEDC, who is basically fighting for its livelihood here, to make a recommendation that is in the best interest of taxpayers you know, when it means they could go away or they could get their funding significantly cut. Now, I'm not saying that spending money on consultants is always a good thing, but in this case, I think having a third party review is probably a good idea. I will say in defense of EEDC, I do recall last budget time, there was a single budget presentation that asked for a budget reduction, and that was EEDC, was it not? Yeah, last budget or the budget before, for sure. Yeah, EEDC did that. They were trying to be a good corporate citizen and and said, we're going to spend less. And, and again, we saw a couple of weeks ago, they said, we're not going to ask for more money to make it equivalent with the University for Tech Edmonton. We're going to put that money into our, for ourselves. We're going to find that within our budget. So yeah, I mean, they're in, they're in a very difficult position because they've done some really important work. They they um, feel like, so Derek Hudson, the CEO, talked about today, they feel like they've already been executing on the mandate that council gave to them. And now with this motion, council is saying, wait a minute, stop doing all that work you were doing already and think about this new problem. And so they've been undertaking these engagement sessions to come up with a new economic strategy for Edmonton. And their whole argument is we need to finish that work before we start to talk about, you know, who gets what toy. We like to sort of frame it as blaming EEDC and Edmonton Global for fighting over toys in the playground. But this is council's fault, right? Like this is, we talked about this when Edmonton Global started up. You were confused, like, well, what is this organization even doing? Doesn't EEDC already do this? This is a mishmash of direction from council, no? Yeah, to a large extent. And, and I've since you know realized that there's a lot of value to the model that we have now and this idea that Edmonton Global is the player that's out in the world making deals with entities that want to come to Edmonton. And when they come to the region, then Edmonton Global hands off to Leduc Economic Development or Edmonton Economic Development or whoever it is to actually make that thing happen and close the deal in the best place in the region for that investment. So that model is great. But Mayor Iveson said something really interesting today. He said, maybe what I should have done is sold all of the other municipalities in the region a share in EEDC for a dollar and saved myself all of the transactional headaches that have come from creating a new organization. Now, he said that wasn't politically feasible, but that would have been a more practical way to go about doing what we've in effect done, which is, you know, create this uh, broader regional entity to look after it, uh, economic development. So that was some of the interesting stuff that happened today. The last thing, I guess, maybe is just briefly on innovation, which is where this started. Councillor Cartmel was the one that was sort of musing aloud that maybe we should have a separate organization just to deal with innovation. And that's an interesting idea that I think a lot of people in the community have started to float. Uh, I do agree with the mayor that we should be looking at consolidation, not creating yet another organization. And if at the end of all of this, we end up with more organizations rather than fewer, I think that would be a bad thing. Well, and the big problem we're revealing in this is, you know, Economic development has so many facets and components that if you have a bunch of disparate organizations each doing a part, it becomes tough to manage who's doing what and who gets to play with what toys because sometimes you need to share those toys. And if we have multiple organizations, it needs to be very, very clear mandates, which is not something we've seen a lot of on this file. And I would say it needs to be done in public, not at shareholder meetings behind closed doors where 
the people in charge basically say, yeah, don't worry about it. Things are good. Like, no, prove to us that we've got the right structure here and that our money is being spent wisely. Um, so as a final, it feels like we've been talking about this for a long time. Is there an end in sight? Do we have next steps on the horizon for this? The mayor, Councillor Walters, and the city manager, Linda Cochran, all used the phrase once and for all, multiple times <laughs> during the meeting today. Uh, essentially, what we're expecting is a report back on the EDC Edmonton Global you know, mandate and, and role clarity before the budget. So when we do the, the budget adjustment, and then by December, a report back on the innovation portfolio and maybe what we should do there. Is that going to happen in a few months when we have to go and hire a third party to do this review? Feels like a stretch, but administration seemed confident speaking of feels like a stretch that this will happen rossdale um we heard updates about the rossdale redevelopment plan and some of the headlines were you know edmonton historic rossdale may finally have a new future and darn if i haven't seen that headline before in my life um the idea being we've got this beautiful historic power plant in rossdale we've got the grounds around the North Saskatchewan River Valley. We've got the Ball Diamond. That's Remax Field. Various yeah. states of disrepair at this point in time. Right. And we just want to do something down there because that's pristine land that everyone would like to use. And it's not really being used very effectively right now. So we had a lot of dreamish pitch uh, this week. And did anything come of that? What, what was pitched? So the thing that was pitched was yet another name for this whole thing. So you've maybe heard about it as West Rossdale or, or other plans in the past, but now they're calling it River Crossing. It's an $84 million plan that went forward, and it's you know very similar to what we've seen in maybe some of the other CRL areas of the city, this idea that we're going to put a bunch of money into infrastructure and into the roadways and into making this a place that developers can then come and do interesting things with. Um, you know, there's also some money for open open spaces so these would be like parks and one of the flagship things is an interpretive park um, because the the area is a very important uh, historical indigenous part of the city um, so that's a key part of the plan and then of course about six million dollars for renovating and rehabilitating the Rossdale power plant which is another really key piece of history in Edmonton and making that part of something that we can actually enjoy as you say getting down into the river valley the sort of central part of our city and making use of that really great space. So a uh, committee voted to recommend that we go ahead with this basically with some adjustments in terms of what we focus on first. And they asked for some priorities for, you know, what sorts of amenities we might invest in first um, in the future. And so Councillor McKean thought, you know, this was the right approach. He said, I think we're staging it right by looking at the big power plant, the pump house, the waterfront and a park. Let's start at the waterfront, he says. So broad agreement on the plan, even though the, the administration report itself said, you know, we haven't really reached consensus on all this. There are pieces of it that certain groups like and pieces that others don't. Um, but for the most part, I think there's a, a, a motivation to do something positive in the area. And this is an important step toward that. I heard that uh, council heard that there's a report coming in December about the feasibility of what is the feasibility of a, a gondola? You might have heard of this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's two reports that are kind of related to this that are sort of interesting. One is about the gondola. This is a weird one to me, right? This grew to that Edmonton project and, you know, it's a, apparently going to be privately funded and all of these sorts of things. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not. 
the city's got to backstop it, right? And so there was this suggestion made along the way that maybe we connect that into what's happening in Rossdale as opposed to just going, you know, straight across the river. I mean, if we have a gondola, yes, it should stop in Rossdale. That if should actually be, no, we shouldn't have a gondola, <laughs> but... The other report is an update on uh, plans for Remax Field. And so most of the envisioning work that has been done uh, contemplates keeping it and making it a better part of that space and more usable. Yeah, and it's about making it more than just a baseball diamond. Right. Too. Making it programmable for other events because we we have the admission prospects and people like buying the season tickets. Season's not very long. It's very not short. a whole lot of days in the year that it's being used by the prospects. Which has been good for What the Truck because we've done a couple of events there and it's been awesome, but we could definitely make better use of that space. And What the Truck isn't operating anymore, correct? We're not doing our own events this year, no. So there's lots of other events now that have food trucks. But, yeah. you know, if we were going to do an event again and we had to pick a location, Remax Field would be near the top of the list because it's just such a great family-friendly space. We'll get some updates in December and in the future. A final point I'll mention is as part of this we saw the resurgence of Touch the Water Promenade come back, which the enterprising listener will remember when we were building the funicular, a component of the funicular was supposed to be a sort of like seawall running track right by the river mm -hmm. style construction. And administration didn't have their ducks in a row. So we lost out on the federal funding for that project. And many of us thought it was dead in the water. I still think it's dead in the water, but Perhaps as part of the Rossdale plan, because we're focusing on the riverfront first, this could see a resurgence. Another thing we've talked about before that is launching this weekend is the Commonwealth Walkway. Uh, we talked about that way back in our February episode. It is actually now launching and going to be a thing, and it goes right through this area. So maybe that'll be a first step to getting people down there and experiencing some of the stories. As a final note, because... I'm looking outside and it's 22 degrees, so let's talk about winter. Calcium chloride made a resurgence at committee this week, and the result was, uh, bump it up to council. We'll deal with it later. It's one of your favorite topics, right? Calcium chloride. <laughs> so we learned that the city is being sued by somebody for $50,000 over its use of calcium chloride. And we the, also saw the response to the suit, in which case the city said, nah, this dude's crazy. Right. And the administration report basically said, you know, we're going to continue to use the right tool for the job. And in some cases, that's going to be calcium chloride. And we're going to continue with the pilot. And everybody at committee who spoke basically said, don't do it. Uh, don't do it. Don't use it. And so that's why council said or committee said, we're going to we're going to kick this down to council. So it's expected to come up at sep the September 24th meeting. Yeah. And I've talked about this before. The big problem with the calcium chloride is no one knows what is true here. There's a lot of borderline fake news here because you have counselors repeating information that is patently false in some cases or at least just untrue in some aspects. But then on the other side, you have calcium chloride is being pushed hard and it's not just calcium chloride as a solution it's a specific calcium chloride product by tiger calcium and you have tiger calcium lobbying the government really hard to get their product used and then mm -hmm. showing how you know they have the corrosion inhibitors so there's nothing to worry about so just like all sides of this issue are very tense and very contentious it'll go back to council next week where last time it passed by a 7-6 vote to continue. Whether we'll see it pass again, I suppose we'll see next week. I, I can't even give a bet. In a couple of weeks, but it'll be a, it'll be a close vote for yeah. sure, either way. Uh, I think this will not be the last news story we hear about calcium chloride. Oh joy, more calcium chloride from Mac and Troy. Perfect. It doesn't make us salty at all. 
I like it. But that's all we have time for this week. We want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the Alberta Blue Cross Wellness Summit, which we've talked about before. And it's a day to explore fresh perspectives and practices around wellness at work. And we've got a clip from Linda Crawford at Alberta Blue Cross. And here's what she had to say about the summit. You know, Alberta Blue Cross really wants to support people. We truly, truly are moving the needle in a way that we want to make an impact. And so, you know, coming to even a first ever event is always fun. You can always now be able to say, hey, I was at that event. And our intention is to really leverage and scale this on an annual basis. So why not come and be that first pioneer and leader that raises their hand and says, you know what, this sounds fantastic. I want to be part of this movement, the energy that's going to happen there. Sign me up. The Wellness Summit is happening October 10th at the Renaissance Edmonton Airport Hotel. You can sign yourself up at thewellnesssummit.ca. And that's all for this week. Mac, do you have any other big news to share or any fun stuff? I don't don't know. I I don't normally throw it to you at the end, so I figure I'd put you on the spot. Well, like you said, it's nice outside, so I I feel like we have to enjoy what's left of summer because we didn't get much of one. No, we did not get much summer at all. So that's the big thing for me. Get out and get some sunshine. Cool. Uh, I'm going to Carly Rae Jepsen tonight, so make sure to jam real hard. And if you're feeling it, you know, cut to the feeling. Boom. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.